the system as it stands seems to reward self-indulgent sociopathic narcissists because they can just manipulate and brutalize people on mass without caring at all and that that the reward systems for that kind of personality type should not exist those people should be relegated to dog parks and little holes in society because they have they're just you know they're part of the problem they really are and yeah I can't speak to how they ended up that screwed up, but you know, here we are. Why don't you tell us what you really think? (laughs) This is Way of the Artist with Brandon Colby Cook and Evan Schulte, identifying your blocks and demystifying your struggles so that you can claim your own path and make your life a work of art. Hello, podcast people. We have a guest today. His name is Kai Morph, and I'm going to get straight to it. So he has a Bachelor of Science in Economics. He is considers himself to be a bit of a crypto investor and a bit of a microdoser as well, so an exploration of the mind, so to speak. Um, we're going to get into all that. Um, you might have heard some of our laws. You might have listened to some of those episodes when we created Wave the Artist and Three that really stood out to Kai are authenticity, appreciation, and simplicity. So we're going to get into that. We'll see how this conversation evolves. And uh, I don't know. Take it away, Evan. So, Kai, how um, how have you been been doing during uh, all of the insanity going on in the world right now? Well, as you've noticed, I kind of got either incredibly bored or something so i went and did something foolish to my head (laughs) but um (laughs) it's been fun for me um well like all of us i'm going through a range of of emotions and um you know it's uncertain times a lot of people are questioning what's going on a lot of uncertainty um some people are having to radically change their lifestyles because they're out of work for example um and back to the intro brandon like my bachelor of science in economics it's fascinating textbook stuff that's happening right now you know we're dealing with all kinds of bizarro lands seemingly unforeseen economic circumstances massive unemployment yet the stock market keeps going up like just bizarro land stuff so it's been been very interesting as well Mm -hmm. what's your what's your thoughts on that like uh being that you studied that what are the things that you're seeing that are kind of bizarre or the things that maybe are predictable under these circumstances based on your education? Mm -hmm. Two things come to mind. One, that the corruption of the system, specifically south of the border, America, the corruption of the system is just becoming so obscenely obvious. It's almost dumbfounding. And then, and, and then I guess as a secondary note, the corruption is really indicated by the fact that they have a 30% unemployment rate in the U S right now. And yet the stock market, is going up so that's inconceivable under normal circumstances how is that even possible hmm. and so you get into the what's called the quantitative easing the i.e the u.s government's just making money making money making money and then just throwing it at their billionaire hedge fund buddies so they can just keep their artificial system inflated and yeah it's unprecedented and i'm quite uh, curious to see how it'll play out <laughs> Right. So, I mean, uh, we've had some discussions in the past and um, you had mentioned that economically speaking, like we are in a bit of a no man's land right now. Like there are things that are going on that where we actually don't know what happens when, (laughs) when Mm -hmm. these things are happening or when, when things are playing out the way that they are. Can you like... uh, elaborate a little bit on that yeah well we'll go back to the quantitative easing question and i'll focus on the u.s for the time being because it is such a unique circumstance they're just making money out of thin air dumping it into the system which typically causes hyperinflation but they're not there's this thing called velocity of money they're not actually dumping the money into the general population they're just consolidating it in their little 0.1 percent billionaire class and so they've really expanded the money supply, which technically means that there should be a lot of money movement 
in the in the economy, which isn't happening. So that's the unprecedented part. They've hyperinflated their currency, but there's no actual economic movement with it. They're just kind of hoarding it at the top of the food chain and kind of, I guess, sitting there in their in gluttonous money fest, going, "Wow, we're so rich, we're so rich," and yet you know, the man on the street is being promised twelve hundred bucks eventually, and in the meantime, fuck you, you can starve to death. We really don't care about you. It seems to be the economic and the political model right now. And you know, when do people get sick of this and grab pitchforks and do something about it? I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like, especially like, dear, like absolutely like there's um, in, in a situation like this, we're seeing all kinds of systems failing um, and and areas where there are weaknesses being exposed uh, for sure. Um, what is it like? We always like to try and like take a creative outlook towards all of this. And mm-hmm. how can how can we be creative? Find solutions to to our problems going forward. What? how are you kind of creatively looking at everything that's going on right now? Do you have any sort of uh, ideas of directions that, that could be taken instead of the actions that are being done? Yeah. um, There's an intense, intense personal element to this because obviously all of us are being kind of put into unfamiliar territory. And so part of the creative process is challenging yourself and going into unfamiliar territory you know, the pandemic in a strange way is putting people in a very intense zone of discomfort. And I hear this again and again from a variety of friends. And in that discomfort, you either kind of germinate something new and fresh or you kind of get broken down and, and you know, seek support or mental health. A lot of people are having mental health issues and needing a lot of support through counseling and or, or just um, community connection with friends. Um, so back to the more like, how do we expand and create and do something useful with this? The world as it was, was broken. Um, you know, people forget that like we had something like 100,000 people starving to death a day on planet Earth. Um, you know, that wasn't a system that was working for very many people. Uh, the concept of wage slavery, everybody's working 40 hours or 80 hours a week just to get by, to feed their kids, to pay their mortgage, to pay interest rates to banks. And so I guess in a roundabout way, I think we need to question the banking system and the fractional reserve system itself. Um, we don't all need to be paying mortgages in triplicate. We don't all need to be having massive student loans just to get basic education. Uh, we have invented a financial system that is very top-down kind of master surf. Dyne. It's a master surf relationship. And we've gotten so used to it that the notion of questioning it seems to be almost a radical concept. And yet it's a human creation. It's a human construct. So why can't we actually um, do something about it? And just to allude to a very simple solution, a universal basic income. Um, And the example of Canada here might be appropriate. We're all getting two grand a month from our government to help us sort of make ends meet through this time. That in an, in is a universal basic income. It's a short-term thing right now, but why can't we expand that to something permanent? Um, perhaps a thousand dollars a month, where everybody has a basic need met, and you know, yeah, just as an example. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you so like? I mean, with economics too, like the like the, you know, based on the way things are going and the where money's flowing and and what's happening, but like there's also the perception, like people have beliefs or they, they think things work a certain way. And so then they participate in the economy in in the game that it is. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think like, you're right. What we're, what we are seeing and Evan, I talked about this before, you know, that the system before is broken and we're seeing that and we're seeing how it's coming out and we're seeing how, you know, one for all, uh, all for one is not really a good strategy in, in a, in a time like this. Um, we're so interconnected and everybody is connected, but I, but I think there is kind of a changing of beliefs, right. And, and where would you, like, people are open, right. People are kind of going, this isn't working obviously. And they want change. They're overwhelmed. They don't know how, what would you suggest to someone to say, like, where, where could they start like putting their energy or their beliefs or their focus? 
changing your sources of information is the first thing that comes to mind. Like even what we're doing right now, we're sharing different ideas. We're creating forums for new modalities of communication. And, and this is this little experiment or this little example right now with the three of us talking, I'm seeing sort of exponentiated all over the place. People are, you know, this, the Zoom technology is, is taking off like crazy. People are intercommunicating in ways they never have before. Um, we're sharing ideas that we've never expressed before. Uh, the environment is necessitating um, people seeing and trying to do things differently. So I don't know have a specific example for you because everybody will find their own path in their own way. But like, yeah, the thing that really comes to the forefront of my mind is we need to stop trusting traditional forms of, of top-down information and find new ways of getting information. Um, and peer-to-peer -peer is, a, is a great way. Like the three of us here, again, the example being we all have different backgrounds, different frames of reference, and so we can intercommunicate and develop our own ideas as, rather than trusting CNN or some autocratic form of you know, information dictatorship telling us to just keep doing everything as we are. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I want to just step back just uh, a, 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 few, a few frames here and just something you brought up before Kai and just like, if you could explain that, cause you explained this to me and I think it could be very useful for people to hear. You're talking, you mentioned the fractional reserve system. Mm -hmm. Could you just explain for everybody listening kind of like in its simplest form, kind of how that works and operates? It's loan sharking <laughs> <laughs> by the banking system against the people of their, the citizens of their country. Um, yeah, the fractional reserve system was a, an invention by very, very rich back in the day, very rich people who wanted to basically make free money and exploit populations. Um, so let's use the three of us as an example, right? So let's say I'm the banker, yay for me, and I'm going to lend you, Evan, 100 bucks, <clears throat> And then you're going to pay me back 300 bucks over the course of, let's say, 15 years. Um, under the laws of our, our country, we'll use Canada specifically, I, the fractional, there is no actual fractional reserve rate in Canada. In the U.S., you have to hold 10% of any money that you loan out. So... It, it, I was quite surprised when I found out that Canada has actually just removed that restriction completely. Um, but let's use the 10% number. So uh, I've, I need 10 bucks. I can lend you 100 bucks. You owe me 300 bucks. So now I can actually claim that as an income that I can now lend Brandon 300 bucks, even though I've never seen that money. And that money doesn't even exist, but I can now lend you 300 bucks. Now you owe me, let's say, a thousand bucks and I can go lend someone else a thousand bucks and it, it just, I can expen exponentiate that to the point where I'm, I'm, I'm a multimillionaire and all I've done is lend money that doesn't exist. That's like a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> it's like such a, like the tower that's designed to crumble, you know, the Ponzi scheme, uh, yeah. uh, scheme, which is built upon not having the money and then, you know, continually loaning it out. And then the problem is that that money doesn't get paid back which makes the next loan fall out and so forth, right? That's what happened in 2008 in the U.S. is that right. like, they just overextended themselves. Um, people defaulted and the banking system collapsed. And that's, that is our financial system as it exists right now. I think that's important for people to understand that, you know, uh, like a lot of people look at wealth and they look at money and they look at resources as actually having it in hand. Like mm -hmm. I, I make uh a thousand dollars or I make $10,000 and I save 10% of it. And you actually save that 10% of the actual money that you actually had in your hand. Whereas people who are in that like 1% or like way up there, they, a lot of the time their money isn't really real. Like it's not, it's a game. It's, it's a, it's a game of playing numbers. And so what I think this exposes a little bit maybe for people is to realize that things aren't actually built on, a reality of having that actual thing. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's a made up number in a lot of ways, but it's based on an equation <laughs> that mm -hmm. like basically goes, well, this is theoretically the money we should have. Like I'm theoretically a billionaire, but it's, I can just keep like a, yeah, yeah, exactly. I can behave like a billionaire because the world plays the game. Then I'm a billionaire, which is basically mm -hmm. what we're all participating in. 
More or less, yeah. yeah. And back to your <laughs> point, Evan, too, though, is that like that's the fractional reserve system as it exists. Um, but to me, that's the potential: is that we we make fictional funny money, we expand the money supply to the benefit of the banking system or these billionaires with their their keyboards pretending they're super rich. That power to expand the money supply used to exist solely in the hands of government itself but government be somehow became corrupted and the, the little elitist class said like we're going to take that power and use it for our own benefit if with enough education and or political will governments could reclaim that money expansion power and we could literally like the universal basic income could be funded by money expansion so everybody says like how do you pay for it there are so many options to pay for it it's a simple thing to pay for it uh back to the canadian example back in the 30s and 40s the u.s the canadian government used to actually own the money creation power and so they would issue bonds or, or create expand the money supply by a variety of means and then invest that directly into hospitals, directly into infrastructure, directly into railroads, and directly into you know, benefiting the Canadian people. Um, so, yeah, the, it's unfortunate that we lost that. And and then the good news is that it would be relatively easy to reclaim it with the political will and and the sort of the public just saying enough of this shit. We want our inherent right to govern our money back. Um, and it sort of loosely create um, links to cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Right, because, you know, basically the whole idea of crypto is not having someone control the money that can corrupt it, essentially. Bingo, exactly. Yeah. And that is such a revolutionary concept. <laughs> right, which is scary for the people who, uh, you know, they devise all their power from that. Um, let's talk about, I, I want to kind of take this into something. So let's go back to this universal income, right? Mm -hmm. um, Putting it aside, because I'm sure a lot of people have their like, oh, that'd be awesome. And there's a lot of people like, how the hell is that possible? Well, first of all, you're a communist. <laughs> yeah, you might not know that it's possible because you don't necessarily have an education around how the money system and economics actually works. So uh, first of all, like you need to educate yourself on that before you just like say that idea wouldn't work. But let's go to the psychology argument, which is that if people had universal income, there's a belief out there that they would just be lazy. They wouldn't do anything. Um, you know, yeah. the devil with the idle hands, essentially they'll cause themselves trouble. What, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. Like, so if I had a thousand bucks a month, would I just sit on the couch smoking weed and doing bong hits and chugging <laughs> beers, right? Like maybe, but yeah, it might get boring after a while. No, well, it's, it's a valid argument. And, and, but the, the rebuttal is who cares? It's they, if people want to sit on the couch doing bong hits with a thousand bucks a month, that's their inherent right. Who are you to judge? Is everybody going to do that? Of course not. There's a lot of people. This has been studied. Um, and so you'll get a mix of all of it. You will get the people sitting on the couch, you know, doing nothing. And you'll get people who can express themselves creatively. They no longer need to work 80 hours a week just to make ends meet. They can work 30 hours a week at a job that contributes to society and actually develop interests and or contribute to community or raise their kids better or you know, a variety of things. And that notion that we need to judge how people will spend their time with that money. We don't judge the billionaires for their, well, actually I do. They, we can <laughs> judge the billionaires for their golden fucking toilets and their trillion dollar yachts. Like, fuck you guys. But if I want to sit on the couch, so what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you're not going to, I mean, I think that the people who use labor, right. Mm -hmm. They're not, they feel they're going to lose that. Right. So like businesses or basically people that benefit off the back of other people, they, they're scared mm -hmm. to lose that. Right. And I mean, it, it is interesting to know like, well, there would be consequences with their labor industry, which is like industries. But, um, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I mean, what could come out of that might be a lot better. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and who says that we need to be breaking our backs to build what, you know? Yeah. I, I have a couple thoughts on that. And that, those are very valid points. Very interesting points. One. Um, yeah. They want obedient servants. They want us to be beholden to them to make, need to make money to pay mortgages and just keep financing their golden toilets. Uh, I think we can question that legitimately and not believe the mythologies they're creating 
to keep us as obedient servants. Uh, then technology, like we're heading into an era where we will be underemployed regardless. Um, we will, you know, uh, the advent of artificial intelligence, the mechanization of, of things, you know, th th this isn't an issue. Um, we're going to need ways to deal with people not having adequate employment because we will have machines doing ideally half of the shit work on the planet. And so there's a huge opportunity here to actually shift human civilization to benefit the majority of us as opposed to the tiny, tiny, tiny fractional minority. Mm. Well, I mean, I'm a, I, I support the universal basic income in the sense that mm. like, you know, as an artist, I feel like having that time to think and to be with yourself and to um, just to, to have a bit of a walkabout in life, you know, without having something to do or some pressure on you is mm. part of what creates, um, you know, creative genius and actually opens up kind of the soul of a person. Um, and so I think that there's, that would be a huge benefit in that. And I mean, maybe you don't just go from like zero to 60 in like a second, but maybe there's a way in which we can begin to like integrate this into our society and figure out, you know, how to actually let people live. Yeah. Well, and that's a good point. Like what's the bridge? So if someone gets a thousand bucks a month, that's 12 grand a year. That's not enough to live on. Like that's enough to survive on if necessary, literally be a starving artist. Um, you could get by on that if you had to, but most people will want to make their 60 or 80 grand or 150 grand a year and they will go out and they will be motivated to do something with it. This will just help make things easier. It'll help them look after their families and themselves better. Um, so it's not that huge a, a leap in my mind. And, and, you know, and even just to take it a step further, like we've got 7 billion people on the planet. Let's say every third world adult citizen gets 100 bucks a month. You know, that would be about 10% of the U.S. military budget. And it would harbor in an era of prosperity and world peace that is unforeseen. You know, so to me, that, like, that's a potential end goal. That's not an intermediary step. But like, there's just so much potential in, in evolving our human condition. And to me, this pandemic, in a way, is almost a gift to question all of what has been done and is happening right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, there's just uh, like there's so many directions that we can go with this conversation at, at this point in, in time. Um, and I'd had a thought and I lost it, which is like my, my token move. Um, Kai, uh, part of, you, you mentioned, um, you know, sort of like you, you're, you're, a, a sort of a pioneer and, uh, as well of, of sort of consciousness and the human experience. I know that's something that you've, um, had a, you've invested a lot of your, your time and, and your life into. Um, so obviously I'm interested in seeing sort of the connection of sort of like your educational background, plus what those experiences are like how your sort of economics meets your, you know, exploration of consciousness. Yeah. Well, Psychedelics, yes. I've experimented with psychedelics and it has definitely opened me up to what I would call more of a multi-dimensional experience as opposed to earth plane, three-dimensional, four-dimensional consciousness. Um, and it's an enriching process. It's, you know, I'm not quite sure where to go with it either because that's a, a rather large subject matter. Yeah. Um, let's go back to the, the microdosing. I, I really, I've become quite a, um, a user and advocator of microdosing, specifically with what I call this it's called referred to as the stacking formula where you take a one part psilocybin one part lion's mane and then you put a sort of a daily dose of niacin in there which the niacin expands your capillaries makes them bigger and like literally in your brain and your entire body so that these medicinal compounds can penetrate more fully into your system and uh it's been a fascinating experience i've been doing it for three months and my ex-wife suggested that I actually do eye charts and all kinds of kind of mechanical testing. My eyesight has improved in the last three months. Wow. Interesting. At the age of 50, my eyesight has improved from taking microdosing. My brain, and this is anecdotal, um, is definitely higher functioning. My awareness is, has expanded. 
And I'm just generally in a better mood. And I feel just more productive, more creative, more at ease, more at peace, um, more communicative, more supportive, all of these really, you know, wonderful spinoffs. Yeah. Well, you know, for me personally, psychedelics have been uh, an important part of my personal journey in life. Um, They've been something that has, for me personally, I found allowed me to um, transition and open up through some periods in my life um, that I think have made my life profoundly better. Um, but I also think that it, it's, it's, it's in your own time. It's, it's maybe when you're ready to explore that. I, I mean, what are your thoughts for somebody who's maybe curious about that type of thing, who um, mm. is just listening and going, wow, that's very interesting. I'd love to like be happier and improve my eyesight and whatever, like, like what are, um, what's your, I don't know, like what's your advice? What's your, uh, what's your thoughts on that? That's what I love about microdosing is it's such an easy intermediate step. You don't have to, you know, blow your mind open or, or have a massive heroic journey through some psychedelic realm or delve into your darkest sort of recesses. You can just very (laughs) gently, (laughs) um feel better uh so microdosing is 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 the ticket it's the easy way to just kind of integrate um into a higher state of well-being and it's readily available it's cheap Mm -hmm. cool and um oh man i I need to get more of my coffee down this morning (laughs) um (laughs) no i mean um mike microdosing like is something that has been like i've been hearing lots and lots and lots of people talk about this it's becoming something more in the forefront um and more commonly accepted something that used to be a really big taboo like i can't imagine this conversation happening you know even 10 years ago really Mm -hmm. um but now like we're looking at a situation where you know uh if you're like a computer programmer you know, for, you know, a major player right now, you're, you're considered to be at like a major disadvantage if you are not microdosing. Um, where, where do you see that going? Because to me, microdosing has, um, and I've experimented with it as well. To me, there is tremendous implications, especially for uh, creatives out there in, in looking at this sort of practice. Mm-hmm. Well, just, I'll just throw out a few terms and anecdotes I've heard. Like, there, our brain is our greatest untapped resource. It is a muscle. Um, we access generally less than 10% of it. Wow, what an incredible potentiality, right? We can actually explore our minds and, and become a much higher consciousness being through mental exploration and some very subtle, soft, easy, gentle tools to help us in that. Yeah. And I have a couple of family members who live south of the border who are involved in the tech world in San Francisco. And you're right. Like, if you're not microdosing, what's wrong with you? Everybody is finding it an incredibly creative, effective tool that, that's doing it. And it's kind of become a subculture unto itself. And this might be a relevant point, too. Like, microdosing can mean a variety of things, including microdosing with LSD, microdosing with psilocybin, microdosing with other substances as well. And just... To, to be clear, like in my experience, the most effective direct path to really healthful microdosing is that combination I mentioned before, which is psilocybin, lion's mane, and niacin. Um, it's the people who are kind of developing and doing some research around that formulation are saying that it by far and away is, is the most effective for, for well-being. Um, LSD might be a slightly more creative tool, um, but if you just are looking for physical and mental wellness, that's by far the best combination to date. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I do want to just take a, a, a quick moment, like uh, just to say that like my personal thoughts are, I am not, I, and I don't know if anyone here is like necessarily saying like, go out and do this, but you know, that this it's is all your medical professional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, I think there's a lot of fear that was created around this type of thing, you know, psychedelics and, and whatnot that people have carried with them over the decades, you know, because 
really like, it was scary for like, to go back to like original points, you know, you start to lose control of people when you can't get them to be obedient and mm -hmm. psychedelics in some way actually make you question your obediency, question things like, um, you know, it just make you think outside the box a little bit. And so if you go back to the history of where psychedelics got suppressed, particularly in America, which kind of spread across the world, um, there's a lot of misinformation spread and people have a, a lingering fear that's kind of like, well, if I do that, I'm a, you know, there's something wrong with me or I'll, my, I'll fry my brain or something like this. Right. But I would say personally that whatever you do and whether you do a psychedelic or whether you do a piece of art, do it with intention. Don't do it just to like get high and go off and like, you know, um, you know, or maybe, maybe that's a good intention. That could be fun too. <laughs> that could be your intention, but do it with intention. Yeah. You know, um, there was an interesting moment in this, in this show called Ozark, which is on uh, Netflix. And there's this moment where one of the characters looks at a piece of art and says that has no intention. And it, it was such a, such a poignant moment for me because it was like, yeah, like when an art, when a piece of art has no intention, it's just kind of like thrown together almost it's like it lacks something there. Like it's just like, there's a, a voice inside of everybody. I think, and even whatever experience you have, you have an intention and you need to, well, I don't know need is the right word, but like getting in touch with that brings out something inside of you, which I think is kind of the point, you know, even if it's just to bring out your joy, just to go, I'm doing this to, to, to get connected with my joy. Right. But there's something, some intention. Yeah. And to, to me, how I'm interpreting what you're saying is authentic, like that word back from the beginning, authenticity and self-awareness. Like these are tools to discover and explore, explore ourselves. And so whether that be microdosing or art or going for a walk on the beach or hanging out with friends, it's just one of those things we can do to expand our self-awareness and our state of consciousness, for lack of a better expression. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I want to bring some, cause uh, I, it's interesting that you bring that this word intention has entered into the conversation because, um, you know, like I believe that, that there can be something artful that there, you can bring art into anything that human beings do. And so I kind of want to bring this back to like, there's like, there is an art to economics, right? And, with this word intention, Brandon, that you brought up, I, I'm seeing an interesting connection in this is that like in many ways, sort of like we're looking at some of the economic, the failings of the economic systems that you've pointed out. And we can see the intention of these economic systems that, you know, where their intention lies, right? And the effects that those intentions have, we can see that they're, like they do have an intention, but in many ways they're also very devoid of intention, or at least they're very devoid of, um, of like reverence perhaps. Hmm. Well, I, I mean, I don't want to cut you off, Kai, but I'd say there's an inauthenticity that's being exposed. That's, that's what I see is like, there's an intention, like we have an economy and we have a, you know, we, we have these structures to build things. Like the whole idea is the tribe. Everybody commits in the tribe. Everybody supports the tribe. The tribe flourishes. But that's not exactly how it works, right? That's what we're told. Everybody participates. Everybody gets taken care of. The tribe thrives, right? But like what's actually happening is everybody's working to benefit a few people, really, who are basically just using them when they don't even need to work just so that, you know, and it, it's actually exploitive. And I think what it's like a hidden agenda is, is more what I'm seeing, which is the inauthenticity that's being exposed. And I think, um, I, I don't know. That's just my observation of what I'm I seeing. think you guys nailed it. That's like not to simplicity. <laughs> it's not that complicated. <laughs> like we are being exploited by a very select few people on this planet. And it's time for that power construct to shift. And I want to ask you, um, what, do you think that that exploitation, do you think that that is a product of, um, again, like intentional maliciousness, wanting to keep people down, or is it a product more so, uh, do you think of, of just like ignorance and, and greed or what, like, what do you, 
what do you think that that, that exploitation, what is at the root cause of that? Um, all of the above. Um, I, I, I also firmly believe that these fucking motherfucking fucker, fuck, fuck, fucking fuckers are doing it intentionally. I think they're just greedy, soulless pricks. Like Donald Trump does not give a fuck about people, period. He's a narcissist. And, and I, it, the system as it stands seems to reward self-indulgent sociopathic narcissists because they can just manipulate and brutalize people en masse without caring at all. And that that the reward systems for that kind of personality type should not exist. Those people should be relegated to dog parks and little <laughs> holes in society because they have they're just you know they're part of the problem. They really are. And yeah, I can't speak to how they ended up that screwed up, but you know here we are. <laughs> Why don't you tell and, us what you really think? <laughs> yeah, right. If that was vague, I will elaborate. <laughs> do you, do you in some way see that like, because I don't, I, I'm, I'm want to try and word this in a way that's not me like leading you too much into, into the answer on this one. But um, in, in, do you see in some way like that, that we all contribute to that in some way? Yeah, the master servant requires a servant. We have been obedient servants. We pay our mortgages in triplicate. We take out loans and just assume we need to pay it back by going and making real money. Um, when we question that paradigm, um, the masters will become less powerful. And, and get out, like, I, again, America, I don't understand Americans. They don't vote. You know what can you expect? Your your system will be autocratic, and and it's become not only an autocratic form of government, it's become an outright kleptocracy, which is basically ruled by theft. Um, get out and vote. Get out and be involved in your civil society in some capacity. Like you know, I think it was Churchill who said, "You get the leaders you you deserve." Um, yeah. I saw a great little quote that I thought was quite relevant a little while ago regarding Donald Trump, where someone actually said, maybe this is the leader we deserve because maybe we are as a culture, a narcissistic, self-absorbed, self-congratulatory culture. Maybe we are the sick ones. Maybe he's just a reflection of that. And that, so that's an interesting, it, it gets back to your point. Like, you know, that is a dynamic there to be a master. There has to be obedient servants. So maybe we mm -hmm. need to become a little less obedient. I think, I think, um, you know, and even, even in Canada, I think that there is a lot of narcissism and that's been exposed a lot in recent years. That's been a really mm -hmm. big, um, it's been a really big thing in social culture. We've begun to see how narcissistic we are as a culture and, you know, Canada included in that. Um, I think in the States more so because capitalism and, and the lack of social, kind of systems allows narcissism to flourish more. But yeah, I mean, narcissism is actually, it, it, the more narcissistic you tend to be, that usually the more unhappy you actually are. And the happier people think you are, and the more unhappy you actually are. But that's the ironic thing about narcissism. You look happy, but you're more unhappy. And people weirdly want to chase it because they think it's happy, but it actually makes you more unhappy, ironically, because it makes you more alone and more disconnected and more basically a product of your external world as opposed to your internal world. In need of constant validation. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike mm -hmm. that orange buffoon south of the river. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting tie-in, actually, if we could go into that. So, like, uh, like, psychedelics are a very internal part of, you know, exploration, right? And... Um, I think when my experiences, at least with psychedelics are more compassion, more empathy, more interconnectedness, more, more seeing things in a interrelated way that I, than I did before. Um, it, it, less narcissism in myself, less self-focus, more uh, expansiveness. What, what are your thoughts on that for yourself? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is my personal journey. Like, and I was, you know, like most young men, I was fairly self-absorbed and uh, maybe not a full-blown narcissist, but I definitely put my needs above others. 
And I also had my own, um, you know, inner wounding. I, I needed validation externally. Specifically, I needed validation from women because of my own personal history. I had had a lot of um, wounded women in my life who were constantly trying to invalidate me and sort of make me feel insecure for a variety of reasons. And so my own healing involved just becoming comfort comfortable enough in myself that I didn't need external validation anymore. And in letting go of that need for external validation, uh, you just, you know, and developing that own sense of personal comfort, you, yeah, you just can, you, you become more authentic. You, you, there's less of a pro pro quo in relationships. Like I will have you in my life because you validate me. And oh, if you're no longer validating me, you're a bad person. You know, some of these weird dynamics that you know people play with. And coincidentally, I also think that's a spin-off benefit of the, the pandemic is people are isolating quite a bit and having to deal with their shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh damn, I've got nothing to distract me. I don't have people validating me the way I'm used to. I you know my own narcissistic tendencies are being exposed. Shit. What do I do with that? Man, mm -hmm. you can go in two directions. You can kind of grow and germinate new ways of being, or you can just crumble. Um, yeah. So how have how have you been staying creative? in in all of this that's going on well that's, i'm one of those people that like i literally have no work right now so yeah um how am i staying creative sometimes i'm not sometimes i'm just sitting on the couch and just going catatonic to netflix <laughs> which is okay and then yeah. but i'm just trying to really stay engaged uh so I, I host little backyard gatherings. Um, I'm typically an introvert. I'm typically not very social. I'm typically like if I engage socially, it's usually at someone else's invite. So for me, it's been an interesting personality flip other than this obvious midlife crisis thing that I've done with my head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm inviting people over a lot. And, and, you know, even in the time of pandemic, I'm making sure my bathroom's disinfected. We're having socially distancing backyard parties. Um, I, I've been doing, you know, little projects. I've been, you know, trying to support friends and family, um, really connecting with the neighbors because all of the neighbors are certainly you know, sitting there with idle time. And, and, and everybody's just in a, a bit confused, a little bit fearful, and just trying to kind of put myself out there as someone who's not really too disturbed by this and who's actually trying to take it as an opportunity to increase self-awareness and actually manifest that in real terms, i.e. when I go to the store, I'm kind. If someone's having a bad day, I don't see take it as a personal affront. I just view it as someone who's actually just struggling with the shit that's going on and feeling a bit of fear. And so for me, the creativity is 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 just really becoming increasingly authentic and well-grounded. Well and, and however that manifests is creative enough for me. That's awesome. I, I've noticed that actually um, in my wanderings outdoors <laughs> with people, there's been a, a lot more connection, ironically, because for some reason, because I, like I've been in, I live in a, a building, right? Like a tower. So we share elevators and we share common spaces. The people who run the place um, who manage the whole entire building, they're very community orientated and it's actually brought out our community in an interesting way because people are keeping a distance, but they're talking to each other. I think because they don't get to talk to people. <laughs> so we're like actually kind of like interacting in really interesting ways. Also, um, you, you mentioned that you don't take offense if someone's kind of like, acting a certain way. I think there's a, a, a compassion and an empathy that's developing where people recognize that people are struggling. So they don't assume it's them. Like, again, it's not narcissism. Narcissism is, Oh, they must have a problem with me because everything's about me. <laughs> when, you look, when you look out in the world and it's not all about you, you start to actually go, Oh, they're on a bad day, but that's not about me. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe they're just having a bad day and I don't need to like take that on. Right which is, a, I think, an interesting evolution of this time. That's a, a great observation. And I, I, yeah, I've seen in my own circumstances pretty much the exact same thing as you've described. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Kai, what would, do you have like any sort of like daily, like some, some things that are like some simple daily practices that people could like bring into their lives to, to cultivate that sort of 
creative sense of like discovering their themselves, uh, finding their authentic selves. Do you have any sort of practices that maybe you do uh, that people could could adopt? Well, if I'm being honest, um, I usually start my day with a coffee and a tiny little bit of a chocolate microdose in my coffee. And it's a great way to start the day. I immediately just relax any kind of anxiety I might have woken up with or apprehension or inner body tensions. But and also in that process, I, um, I definitely try to stop thinking and do something that I call body scanning. So just, OK, I've got a kind of a tension in my stomach, kind of, you know, Quiet the mind, stop thinking, drop down into the body, discover tensions. Oh boy, I'm actually a lot more tense than I thought. And just go through waves and waves and waves of relaxation. Um, and just really try to enter what I would call a state of relaxed presence, where I'm not trying to think of anything. And I'm lucky here in that I've got a house full of plants. And so I can just kind of tap into the fact that I'm surrounded by you know, intelligent beings, i.e. plants. Um, and I've got a backyard. I can go and lay on the grass. I've got a beach nearby. So I, I feel very privileged in that. But just really tapping into stillness and physical environment, i.e. the natural world, would be, they're my go-tos. Mm. Mm. Yeah, like what I'm, what I'm hearing you say, especially it's like, it's really just like giving yourself space, mm-hmm. um, especially like right off, off the start of the day. Like that's something that, uh, I really try to do. And especially over these like last, this last month and a half or so, um, is that I've noticed a very big difference with how my day goes based on, um, on how I start my day when I get up. So, I always try to start my day with like a bit of a meditation, read something that's really nourishing, you know, soulfully nourishing to me. Um, and just sitting with that for a little while before I do anything, because I've noticed that like on certain days where I've kind of gotten up and flicked on a screen or something mm-hmm. like that, my, my day goes a completely different way. So what I'm kind of hearing is, is something uh, I'm connecting to just on the level of just like, it's giving yourself space just to be mm-hmm. off the top. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> he agrees. <laughs> that is confirmed. Um, <laughs> well, I was actually listening to a talk um, this, this morning and um uh, that's, you know, I woke up, I did the same thing. I listened to a, like a nourishing kind of talk and, and the speaker who I don't know who it was, who was speaking because I wasn't actually paying attention to who was talking, but, um, he was pointing out that like all your answers all come from within. There's like nothing really out here is what's going to give you an answer. And like, you need to ask those questions like inside yourself. And it was interesting because this yesterday, I had, I had a rough morning because uh, I'll just share this because I think it's relevant, but I started the day off pretty well. I woke up pretty early. I felt super motivated. I'm like, I'm going to get up. I'm going to do this. I'm going to whatever. Um, and pretty instantly I looked at a screen, looked at a text message that I had gotten, whatever. And it sent me on a spiral and really quickly, and all of a sudden, all that motivation and drive and excitement for life just quickly like went sideways. Like, and I just decided like at a certain point, I was up for an hour or so, and I'm like, I'm going back to bed. And I just went back to bed, and I slept for like hours more. And I decided that this morning I was not going to do that. I like because I was like, what got me, you know? And this morning I woke up and I listened to a, a talk and there the speaker was just saying like, you know, look for those answers within. And I got up and then I listened to that. And then I had a shower and I went for a walk and then, you know, I just got myself with myself. And today has been an incredible morning. And, um, I don't know, like maybe you can speak to that Kai, like somebody who is such a explorer of self. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know that I have a lot to add other than like you drew a very sharp distinction when you were in control of your own space and your own well-being. You you thrived when you kind of allowed yourself to fragment into the digital world. Um, you, there were consequences. And 
Just an observation too. Like it's okay if you feel like shit, you just need to curl up and go to sleep for three hours. Maybe that was exactly what you needed yesterday. Right. And then experientially you were like, well, okay, that happened. It's not necessarily how I want to be today. So I'm going to adapt and do things slightly differently. Mm. And so for me, that, 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 what you did is you were self-aware enough to realize you wanted to try something different. And so you explored and you tried something different and you experimented. And, and mm. so in a way, I think you've, in that example, you've kind of described a very well, helpful, relevant way of dealing with the simplicities of day-to-day living and, and exploring and questioning and just bouncing around. Like mm. there's no right answer for everybody. We, you know, Back to those keywords of authenticity and simplicity. Like just try to we have a chance to simplify right now. We have space and time. We can explore, we can experiment with self, we can decide we don't like the way we started our day, and we can try doing it a different way. Um and the the key component to me is that a lot of people do try to avoid themselves and distract themselves. And, you know, we can talk about all kinds of things like sex addiction or any kind of low-level addiction and or being a narcissist who needs constant external validation um, to, to break all of those layers away and just really delve into your authentic self and actually gain an appreciation for yourself, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, you know, I, I have feelings that I'm not really proud of or, or happy with. And yet um, I, I accept them now, whereas I used to resist and or try to pretend they didn't exist. And, there's just there's a richness to being able to explore yourself without a lot of um, filters and uh, you know, in this pan- time of pandemic ideally a lot of us are doing some of this sort of more interpersonal work and in developing a stronger healthier relationship with ourselves well i think what you're bringing up is that i think this is a tremendous you know point is that um you know it's it's a very fluid process and and it's about moving with what's going on as opposed to trying to fix things that are going on to a certain extent you know like i i'm i i get a certain kind of i'm both uh i get a really big kick out of it but i also get really an, aggravated by this sort of what i sort of coined as like the seven steps world that we're in right now, or it's like, everybody's got seven, seven steps to something, you know? And it's like, we're all just trying to like fix things and just solve things so we can just put them away all the time, as opposed to just living a little bit more interactively, fluidly, intimately with ourselves and our lives, how we, how we think, how we feel being curious about what those things are that are coming up. And instead of necessarily being judgmental and being like, Oh yeah, I don't feel good today. I I just want to sleep for three hours. instead of waking up and just being like, I can't believe I just slept for three hours in the middle of the day. I'm like, I'm just such a piece of shit, you know, and just being like, okay. Like, and and just being curious about that as opposed Mm -hmm. to being judgmental and just trying to find a way to, to, to just forget about it somehow. Yeah, that's what I liked about Brandon's example is it's just that is such a relatable everyday example that people are struggling with probably almost universally right now. And to be okay, to be okay with it and, and to question it and to adapt and find other uh, techniques that are can be relatively simple. Start your day with a walk. <laughs> yeah, not, not attainable. Right. Yeah, that's something that, uh, you know, in this time I've been reminding myself of and you know, it's good to hear that. I mean, because yeah, yesterday there was like a, for the most part, I was at ease with it. I'm like, this is what I did. And this is just how I needed to do my day. But there was a little bit of like, ah, I wasted the day, you know, but <laughs> as I was on my walk this morning, I was, I'm like, I feel really well rested and I feel at peace. And I'm like, you know, maybe having that time to sleep was very good for me, you know? And I, I kind of walked in gratitude while I, recaptured that moment right and um i had amazing dreams yesterday <laughs> and when i woke back up i was in a you know i got i almost like it was like hitting the reset button you know and right. i kind of had to start again start the day again but start more on uh with, a, with an intention that i actually felt was much like i didn't go straight to the screen after, when i woke back up right which is probably 
you know, it's just learning, I guess, right? You know, finding your own way. I mean, this is basically what Evan and I talk about. But um, you, you kind of brought in a good point, Kai, is just how it's like, you know, not being judgmental of yourself for, you know, going through that. Because it's not, that's not an uncommon thing, you know, especially if you have a lot of time to yourself right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I could relate and, and I could think of a, like dozens of examples of the last few weeks that are very correlated to what you just described. Like just, you know, if I'm not feeling well, it's okay. It's okay. Don't need mm-hmm. to distract. Don't need to fight and just be at peace with it. One of my things too, is I love self hugs. <laughs> like nice, cozy little self hug and everything's okay. And it actually just really reassuring works for me. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> Um, is any is anybody here having a beer? I am not. I'm, You're not. Okay. Well, I'm keeping the tradition going. Evan. I had to I have just, coffee because I, <laughs> I I slept in a little bit today, and then it was just like, uh, and we, it was time to record. I'm like, I'm not drinking a beer before I. Yeah, <laughs> before I get I it. Coffee. I get it. Yeah, no I'm judgment. Um, well, Kai. So when Evan and I started these conversations, we were just working on a script, and we would have a beer, and before we actually got to work on the script, we drink a craft brew and mm-hmm. it just spurred on a conversation, which is actually why these things ended up getting recorded. And there's a podcast. So I've been uh, keeping the tradition going as best I can in these, <laughs> in these times, mm-hmm. but I have an interesting craft beer and I wanted to, I wanted to mention it cause I thought you would find this funny guy. Um, this is from bridge brewing company and it's called you're so vanilla. <laughs> that's appropriate (laughs) um it's a cream ale it's i I really like cream ales it's delicious um it's a good little beer that's funny (laughs) i just thought you'd like the title and i was like i can't wait to introduce this beer Yeah. I could, uh, well, my um, morning coffee with microdose was, I don't know, I could put <laughs> vanilla on it as well. I'm so vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, Kai, questions? we have, yeah, questions. Um, Kai, we have some questions that we uh, like to ask our, our guests. Um, so, like, you don't have to overthink it, just kind of, uh, just kind of go with with your gut on on a lot of these things. So uh, I'll start with the first one here. What's the most important book you've ever read? The Tao of Pooh. <laughs> the Tao of Pooh. Nice. <laughs> uh, what film movie has made the greatest impact on you? Oh God, I like um, Goodfellas the most just because of the incredible ability of the filmmaker. But uh, yeah, it's kind of a violent. Uh, hmm, it's impact. right. It's just like uh, if it. Yeah. No, I'd have to go with Goodfellas. That movie when I it just hit me in all the right places, and that, the one scene where they're following the couple through the restaurant in real time is just you know pure filmmaking genius. Just loved it. It was inspired by it. So yeah, there we go. Nice. As like that just makes me want to rewatch Goodfellas again. I'm like, yeah, I remember that scene. It's so good. Uh, what uh, what is a song that takes you somewhere? Uh, Matrix news. If I have my headphones on, I cannot do anything but dance like a maniac. <laughs> Sorry, what was the song called? Matrix news. <laughs> Met- uh, okay, got it, got it. Nice. Um, where do you think creativity comes from? Oh, fuck if I know. <laughs> <laughs> if, um, if you were to wager, if you were to, to wager uh, a thought. Well, the thoughts that are coming is like, uh, it's an internal process, but at the same time, we're all kind of zeitgeistly connected. So yeah, it comes from a lot of different places, all of the above. Beautiful. Everywhere. <laughs> yes, exactly. It is consciousness itself. Creativity comes from consciousness itself. And how do you define consciousness? Don't know. (laughs) That's a great answer. I love that. Uh, How do you find or where do you find inspiration? I'm really finding a lot of inspiration in community and just authentic connection with people and expanding my comfort zone and expanding my social circle. Like I'm meeting people that 
normally I wouldn't really have much to do with. And it's kind of a fascinating self-discovery as well, because every interaction is an exploration of self in the end. So, yeah. Wonderful. And what is one thing you would tell your childhood self? Hmm. Do less LSD. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's nice and practical. <laughs> I love that. Great. Um, should we uh, say some final thoughts here and, and call this one a day? Yeah, let's do it. Um, All right. Do you have any final thoughts or do you want, you want me to kick it off? Uh, who are you talking to? You, Evan. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I think that um, a lot, what a lot of our conversation today has, has reminded me of and has just sort of um, just strengthened in me is that, you know, right now we are in a, in a unique time that presents a uh, terrific opportunity for us to uh, challenge ourselves to, to, because we are in a forced unknown state. And as we've said many times before, the unknown space is where, is where a lot of creation happens, is where creativity occurs and is trying to solve problems, trying to, uh, we have to look at things we've never looked at and, and we can't help but bring out something new in that process. And, you know, now is an extraordinary opportunity for us to reshape things, not only, um, you know, to, to reshape ourselves and to reshape the world. And uh, it's worth our time and our attention to do that. And I mean, we've got the time to do that now. So, um, and, and there's some, and there's big things that we have to look at together collectively. There's big problems that we have to solve and, uh, and, it can all work out to, to the betterment of, of everyone. So that's my final thoughts. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that you've helped me see Kai is like that, you know, obviously there's a lot of uh, challenges going on in the world that are being exposed. And I think that there's, you know, there's two sides of all of us. There's a part of us that just wants to go back to bed and go to sleep and be like, wake me up when this is done because I'm tired of it. Mm -hmm. And there's that other part of us that's like, well, I'm here with me and I'm tired of being, I'm tired of being asleep through it, you know? And I think that, um, although you can feel powerless, uh, as a person, you know, to feel like you can actually do anything to change the way the world is, I think just being more conscious and being more aware and, being with yourself more and making that a practice of how you're being, you might just wake up from all of this and find that it is different because you've become different. And so I think like for me, just that little example I shared about going back, going to sleep yesterday, waking back up and then kind of starting again is kind of a micro economic <laughs> of my macro life, you know, of just kind of going like, yeah, like, there's a, there's a way that I want to do this, you know, and I don't necessarily have to participate in, I don't know, like the way things are. I can, I can walk my own path. Um, and to kind of take this as an example, I think as, as an opportunity, I think this is really an opportunity. I think that's the thing that I'm, I'm seeing more and more is that it's an opportunity to bring up all your shit, get it out here, take a look at it and then decide what you're going to do and who you're going to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, Absolutely. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't have a lot to add. I think both of you have touched on very relevant points and uh, both of you have used the word opportunity and it is an opportunity, an, an interpersonal self-opportunity and a collective opportunity. And to elaborate on your point, Brandon, if we all take responsibility for improving our personal wellness and present ourselves as more authentic, balanced people in the world, if, if enough of us do that, Mathematically speaking, the world will be a more authentic, balanced place. So why not? <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for being on the show, Kai, for bringing your, your expertise and your fiery passion to the conversation. 
It's, uh, it's, you know, we don't always get that. <laughs> oh, it's been my um, pleasure. I really, I really appreciate the invite. It's been a lot of fun and, and yeah, anytime. <laughs> Terrific. All right. Well, thanks for uh, listening, everyone. Until next time. Good to see you guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>